Welcome. You're listening to The Drive Podcast, a ministry of First Baptist Orlando. In our current series, we are walking through the letter of Philippians as the Apostle Paul writes to encourage the people of Philippi to live out their faith with joy and in unity. Let's listen in and see what God has in store for us. Thank you, worship team. Guys, thank you for singing and worshiping with us. You don't have to stand all that time. You can sit down. Uh, I got saved in a in a charismatic church, so if you feel like running around with your hands up, you can do that too. People around you will probably look at you. You can sit against the wall. You can go in the back. We really want you guys to be uh, at home here. If you have a Bible, Philippians chapter 2, uh, we're going to spend the rest of our lives in Philippians. But it's a good book. Um, we never want to reduce the Christian life to mastering information. Some of us are overeducated as it is, especially when it comes to like Christian information. Have you ever been to a bookstore, at least a Christian bookstore? And so we don't gather in this place on Tuesday nights to, to, to glean more knowledge. We gather to know Jesus uh, so that we can then go and make him known. And that's what our text uh, tonight addresses. The work that is involved with being the church of Jesus Christ. I'm convinced that the greatest impact that the church can ever have in in the darkness of our culture is people who have met Jesus and who have been so transformed by him. And and the world's never going to be influenced by what we know. It's it's always going to be a who. That's why we point people to the person of God. To, to Jesus, not to systems, not, not to principles, not to procedures or programs, to the person of God, Jesus. And one of the best ways people are going to meet Jesus is through those whom Jesus indwells. For as long as I'm up here and have the privilege of sharing Jesus with you, man, I want you to hear over and over and over again that Jesus calls you home, that he dwells inside of you. That the gospel is not just that you got your sins forgiven and get to go to heaven now, though you do, and that's really good news. Even though heaven is really a round trip uh, back to a, a new created earth. Let me stop. That's a whole nother sermon. But that Jesus now comes and calls you home. That the very spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, Romans 8, now indwells you. And we're going to talk about that tonight. Empowers you to live out the life God has called us to live. Because really it's not you living the life. It's Jesus living and expressing his life through you. So whenever you do something that, like, that looks like Jesus, it's, it's really Jesus. Expressing himself through you as you learn to walk in the spirit. And so tonight we talk a little bit about this tension of a very real call to working as Christians. And acknowledging that it is also God who is at work in us and through us. Last time we met, we were in chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And there we saw that we have a Savior, right, who made a way for us to know God by refusing to cling to his divine rights and divine prerogatives. You remember that passage? Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, which means although Jesus is God, Jesus did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he what? He emptied himself And he went lower and lower and lower, coming from the heights of heaven and and taking on the, the, the form of a servant and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because of his obedience, God exalted him. 
right? And he gave him a name that is above every name. And so by grace through faith, grace is a gift. We don't work for it. Grace by faith and through faith. Faith is the leaning of our, our, the weight of our convictions upon the work and the person of Jesus. By grace through faith, we are saved through our confession that Jesus is Lord. And when we confess that, we receive a salvation that must be worked out. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Philippians 2, verse 1 through 11, this is God. This is God at work. It's who he is. This is who the people of God look like. Chapter 2, verse 12 through 18, this is now what, right? Now now what? So Philippians 2, verse 12 to 18, let's read it together. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Philippians 2, verse 12. So then, my beloved... Just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Man, I can't wait till we get to that verse next week because we're all guilty. Do all things, not just some things. I may just camp out here for a second. Do all, say all. All things without grumbling or complaining, another translation says, or disputing. Man, that, is, that just brings us up short, doesn't it? So that, verse 15, you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have a reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. 17, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and I share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. So in light of the incarnation, God coming in human flesh, believers are to respond in a couple different ways. We are to work out our salvation. We are to get our shine on. That was a reference to 90s hip hop. Get your shine on. Anybody cash money? Yeah, Lil Wayne, Birdman. Okay, I lost half of you, didn't I? I lost you, didn't I? Yeah, so we are to get our shine on. We are to work out our salvation. We are to rejoice in the midst of, of suffering. Don't worry, we're just going to talk about working out tonight, okay? So verse 12, you ready? Let's do it. If we were reading our Greek New Testament, which I can't, but I know half of you can, it would read, so then therefore. That's what it reads in the Greek, so then therefore. And whenever you see a therefore, it should prompt the question, what is it there for? Nine times out of 10, the writer is pointing us back to something he said previously. Well, we've already covered that. What was Paul just talking about previously? Chapter two, he was billboarding Jesus, who he was, what his life looked like, and the call to unity in Christ. And so what he's saying is chapter two, one through 11, this is who God is. This is who the people of God are. This is the life that we have now received. So then therefore, let's work it out. Let's take this unseen gift that we have been graced in Christ and let's work it out into the day-to-day expression of our lives. Paul's reminding these Philippians that Christian reality is a cooperation. There is a cooperation 
our receptivity to God's activity. We see that clear in verse 13, but first we need to kind of camp out in 12 and figure out what exactly does he mean when he says, work out our salvation with fear and trembling, because it's not an option. This isn't a suggestion here in verse 12. Work out is a present active indicative or imperative in the Greek. That means this is to happen. This is, this is a imperative. It is something that we should be doing. A command is not up for debate. There's nothing to discuss or converse about. It's a command. Work out your salvation. You've received the very life of Christ. Now carry this out in your life. Now, this may not be an exact parallel, but those of us who go to the gym, those of you who go to the gym, let me rephrase that. I did do some Pio today. Trying. Those of you who go to the gym, why? Why do you go to the gym? What's the aim? Come on, don't be bashful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to be strong, trying to develop the muscles, right? Get them biceps, tighten up the booty a little bit, right? You're you're looking for that coveted six-pack. Don't lie. Now here's the thing. When you go to the gym, you're not looking to add something to your body that's missing. You're not trying to find things to plug in. I mean, unless of course you're shooting up steroids, and if you are, we need to talk. That's why you're so angry. Okay? But you you get this, right? You're going to the gym to develop muscles that you already possess. Girl, that six pack's there. You just got to work it out, okay? And so we are learning to develop what is already inside of us and trying to bring what's inside of us. We're not missing any muscles. We're not missing any tendons. We are developing and working out to something to its fullest and best conclusions. The same is true for my four-year-old Cora Jane. We did not take her back to the hospital to put kneecaps on her when she started to crawl, right? She already had what she needed, right? She needed to develop and grow up into the kneecaps that she already had. She wasn't missing anything. She just needed to develop those skills. Apply this spiritually, right? You have received everything you need to live the Christian life. Second Peter 1, verse 3 and 4. You've received everything pertaining to life and godliness, everything that you need. And now our call is to bring that life, those characteristics, that nature online in our daily lives. We got all of Jesus we ever were going to need at salvation. And now we are to walk in the truest and most accurate expression of what that looks like. The theological term is sanctification, okay? That's the theological term here. Sanctification comes from a root word. It's hagios in the Greek, and it means to be distinct or set apart, okay? it's, It's the word holy, really. When God saved us, God distinctly set us apart for his purposes, one of my mentors spent most of his life in the, in, the, in the nation of Israel teaching and preaching. And he tells of a Jewish custom. A Jewish household had two large pots. In one pot, there was water that was clean for cleaning and doing dishes and all of those different things. And the other pot was for, you know, refuse and excrement and peeing and all of those things and going potty. I have a four-year-old. I can use that language in public. You never wanted to mix up the pots. They were distinct. 
They were separate. They were separated for a specific purpose. And so the idea of sanctification is that God set you apart for his purposes. But sanctification is not only a objective, an objective thing that God did in the past. It's also a present tense reality and a process. And so sanctification is the process where we are growing up into the fullness of what God has already done for us in Christ. It is this process of maturing and growing up into conformity to the image of Christ. And so we are being sanctified moment by moment. This process of becoming what we already are. This day by day, moment by moment, learning to walk in this newness that we've received in Christ. And it's work. It is hard work. But it's not work for our salvation. It's work from our salvation. This word that Paul uses for work out in verse 12, it's a word that was used in his day of working a field for every possible grain. Anybody grow up on a farm? We're in Orlando. Okay, good, we have one. What's a farm? I get my groceries, I get my vegetables at Publix. But this word is used for somebody who works a farm and tills the field for every possible vegetable and doesn't leave until every piece of fruit is, is, is retrieved. Or, or somebody who, who's working in a mine or quarrying a mine and, and getting every last possible gem. Or it's, or it's the Olympic athlete. It's, it's Usain Bolt, you know, in between his ridiculousness and all his posturing saying, you know, I left it, I left it all on the track. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the Super Bowl champions. We left it all out on the field. It is this tremendous amount of labor where we work and we pour everything that we have into whatever this thing is that we're doing. Now, why are we taking the time to emphasize this idea of working, of laboring, of putting forth effort? Because this idea that Paul is talking about, it is such a challenge to our passive, spectator, reflective brand of Christianity that most of us have been indoctrinated with. We think that this right here is working out our salvation, sitting around, taking notes, listening to the requisite message every week, making sure we get our quiet time in daily. And while those things are really, really important and key to growing up and being sanctified, man, Paul is talking about something a bit more involved than just showing up. We read in verse 16 words like running and toiling. In chapter 2, Paul's going to lift up this dude named Epaphroditus and use him as a model of what it looks like to be a fellow worker. Not a spectator, but a worker who literally laid his life on the line to get this letter to the Philippians, serving both Paul and serving the Philippians. Epaphroditus wasn't just a weekend warrior that showed up on Sunday morning and, you know, made it to the requisite life group but he was a guy that poured out his life for the gospel's sake. I say all of that to say, listen, this isn't where transformation happens. You get that, right? In your prayer closet or on a Sunday morning, this isn't where you really grow. Out there where you are putting into practice what you're hearing in here or at the big church or at wherever you are daily and consistently feeding on the word of Christ. And so there's a tremendous amount of labor here that Paul calls us to. He says, work out your salvation. Now, what does this work look like? Again, it's a throwback to last week. What does it look like? It looks like Jesus. Chapter two, verse five, Paul says, have this attitude in you. Have this mind, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who what? 
who emptied himself, who laid aside his divine rights and he went low and he became obedient to the point of death. It looks like servanthood and sacrifice. Have this attitude. Let this mind be in you. We are called to work, but look at verse 12. It is a work that is to be done with fear and trembling. Phobos and tremos in the Greek. They just sound cooler in the Greek, don't they? Fear and trembling. What's going on here? What does Paul mean when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Okay, yeah, I like that. Understanding the gravity and how serious this is. Mm, I like that. In awe. In awe. And what are we to be in awe of? Verse 13. See, I, I think trembling and fear are to be understood in the context of verse 13. Let's, let's, let's read it. End of verse 12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I don't think Paul meant this fear to be a slavish kind of fear where we're terrified of God. Some people are though. Some people are terrified of God and thinking if they screw up, then God is just waiting to pound them. That's inconsistent with the God that the scriptures reveal. God is love, 1 John 4, 8. And so I don't think he's talking about that. I think this, this is a way of saying that there is no room for, for flippancy or carelessness in the life of a believer. No room for apathy or even arrogance in our walk with Jesus. I think this idea of trembling comes out. It's best understood in light of some of the other things that Paul has said in the New Testament. Like over in 2 Corinthians 4, we've shared this before. You don't need to turn there, it'll be up on the screen. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7, when he says, but we have this treasure, this treasure in earthen vessels. And what is the treasure? Man, it's, it's God's life. It is the life of Christ, the very spirit of God. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, verse seven, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We have, guys, we have a treasure within us. If we are Christian, if we have confessed Christ, we have a treasure, an unspeakably priceless, valuable gift. And when we really come to grips not only with the possession of this gift, this, this power, this life of God, but also with the intent and the desire of God who wants to work that power and life through you. Man, I think trembling and fear is the only real response that we can give. Man, when I, I remember when we brought Cora Jane home from the hospital, my daughter, and I've shared with you guys before, we adopted our daughter and Corjane's adoption story had in it a tummy lady, that's what we call her birth mom, uh, who was addicted to crystal meth. And so she was on methadone in utero the entire pregnancy. So there was a very real possibility that our daughter was going to have some serious withdrawal symptoms. And so we just didn't know what to expect when she was born. Praise God, she was fine. She had to stay in the hospital those, those first five days uh, to make sure and monitor that she didn't go up on the chart, whatever that was. But man, there was one time where I'm holding her in one of the rooms off to the side and my wife went to do something, probably use the bathroom and I just have Cora and I'm scared to death already. And she starts making this noise. 
I would, I would do it for you because it's been burned into everything in my mind and in my head. Um, but I, I could have sworn she was choking. And so I like, I, I start freaking out and I run out into the hallway and I literally start screaming, help, help. And so a nurse starts running all the way over to me. She's like, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't know. And I just handed my daughter and, and she looks at her and she's like, she's not blue. What's going on? I, I think she's choking. So she turns her over and starts beating her on the back. And I like wanted to punch her. I'm like, what are you doing to my daughter? That's what you do, I guess. And so she handed her back to me and said, she's just fine, daddy. You're okay. She just makes that noise. And so my wife comes back and she sees me out in the hallway with a nurse. She's like, what did you do? I was gone for 30 seconds. And we stepped back into the room and I handed Cora back and I wept. I lost it. Just lost it. So I was scared to death because of the awe and the gravity of not only holding this small thing, but knowing that God had given me the privilege of keeping it alive and nurturing and growing and really screwing this kid up. Surely... That, that fails in comparison. Though it's poignant, it fails when held up to the fact that God, the God of the universe, has come and taken residence inside of you. That should awe us. You want to talk about like incredible value and immeasurable worth? That if we have confessed Christ, the very spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, whatever that means. And we can talk about it later if you want. But the third person of the Trinity has come and calls you home. And now wants to live and express his life in you, as you, and through you. This is the best kind of news. This is why the good news of the gospel isn't just to get out of hell free card but it is God now lives inside of you. And you have everything you need to overcome sin, to, to, to flee from sexual immorality, to resist the devil, to see victory happen, to endure suffering and tribulation, to have joy in the midst of whatever you're experiencing because God calls you home now. Talk about immeasurable worth. Guys, this, this is what saves us from an unworthy view of our humanity, Okay? First, the very fact that God has imprinted his imageness on every single one of us. Every person you ever come in contact with was created in the image of God. That is absolute dignity and worth out the gate. But then for every single one of us that confess Christ as Lord, God now calls that person home. I said this last week. The first time divinity joined itself to humanity, we called that person Jesus Christ. The next time divinity joined itself to humanity, we called that person you and me, the church of Jesus Christ. We have been made partakers of the divine nature. The very nature of God now calls us home. Our humanity is not our problem. We sometimes forget who is in us and who's at work through us. So look at verse 13. Paul says, it is God who is at work. Now he uses, he uses the word work, right? But it's not the same word that he uses in verse 12. Remember verse 12, that word work is, is tilling the field, is working the field, working the mind, leaving it all out on the field. This word here for work that God or Paul uses in 13, it's where we get our word energy from. Paul's talking about operational power here. This is God empowering us to live out what is true about us in Christ providing both the means and the ability to walk it out. Listen, God never asks anything of you that he hasn't already put 
into you. For every command we find in scripture, there is a corresponding supply of the life of Christ in you to fulfill that command. Or else this is garbage and we can't do anything. Because if you read Matthew 5 through 7, where we spent a couple of weeks walking through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was teaching a standard that was so far above anything we could ever do. Why? Because he was showing us the standards of his kingdom that would only be possible for people who were indwelt by his life. It was the call to a higher standard that he would be able to live out in and through you. That's why Romans 8 talks about now the law is being fulfilled in us and through us as we walk in the spirit. And so God is at work in us and through us. Do you believe this? Now question, what is the danger of just camping out in verse 12 and never getting to verse 13? Puts it all on us. Can I tell you that one of the greatest affronts to grace is trying to live like Jesus? You can't do it. You can't. You can't live the Christian life. Only Jesus can be Jesus. And he wants to in you and through you. And it is the grace of God to allow you to exhaust yourself trying to be what only Jesus can be in and through you. I have exhausted myself trying to live like Jesus, trying to emulate him. And at at, at first glance, it sounds like a really noble thing to try to do. You will wear yourself out, slap wear yourself out because only Jesus can express and live his life through you. And he really wants to do it. Romans chapter six, verse 10, the life that Christ lives, he lives, present tense in the Greek, he lives unto God. Where is Jesus living his life right now? He's seated in the heavenly thrones and he lives in you. Colossians 1:27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Our only hope we have of glorifying God is Christ in and through us, his spirit at work empowering us. So yeah, you're right. It's all about us. And when we don't allow God to do the work through us, go read 1 Corinthians chapter three. And we're gonna be building things on a foundation of wood, hay, and stubble, and it's all gonna burn up before God. And God's gonna say, you did not trust the life of my son in you for any of that. John chapter 15, what does Jesus tell his disciples? He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So abide in me and I abide in you and you will bear much fruit. That doesn't mean you can't do anything. It means you can't do anything that has any significance or value for the kingdom of God, things that really matter. So this is God equipping us and empowering us. And people who treat verse 12 with a period and never get to 13, then they get into all kinds of trouble trying to do what only Jesus can do. The life of the indwelling Christ brings to us both the desire to live righteously and the effective energy to do so. There is a tension here, is there not? A tension between our human responsivity to God's sovereign activity and one cannot work without the other. Listen, you are not a hollow straw that God is just going to express himself through without you ever getting on board and choosing to walk in the spirit. There is a tension here. And God is never gonna force you or coerce you to walk in the spirit. See, before you got saved, you didn't have a choice. You only sinned. 
You might have every now and then did a godly thing and a right thing, but your nature was independent and rebellious and you were a sinner by nature. But now that we're in Christ, we have a choice to either walk in the spirit or to continue to walk in the flesh. And God's not gonna force us or coerce us. Listen, a union of true lovers cannot be imposed. So we have a full and a free consent to both receive and to give accurate expression to the gift of Jesus. This is a love affair. You get that right between our heavenly father and sons and daughters. And so the power that compels us, it comes from the God who already indwells us. And if you forget that for a moment, you will burn yourself out or you'll, you'll commend yourself and you think you do a really good job and you'll begin to get prideful and arrogant. Okay, let me land this plane. Stepping back from 12, stepping back from 13 for a minute. We can't forget the overall context of what Paul is teaching. All the way back in 127, all the way to 218, he's talking about unity. He's talking about harmony in the body of Christ. You remember 127? Paul says, listen, only walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And what is that manner that is worthy? It's one that works towards unity and harmony. Now, it's been argued by many that Paul is specifically talking about the communal aspect of working out our faith. What that means is a lot of scholars and commentators think that Paul is only talking about working our salvation out in the context of the church, in the context of the body, right? And I don't think it's off the mark at all to consider that Paul is concerned with God's activity in the life of the church here. And so we need to keep asking the question, what is God's activity at work in and through us really look like? And now I'm just beating a dead horse. It looks like Jesus And if it doesn't look like Jesus, then we are walking inconsistently with who we are now in Christ. And so we need to take a step back and kind of examine ourselves. It's biblical. Second Corinthians, first Corinthians 10, 13, 13, 10. Examine yourselves to see if Christ is in you. And so this is biblical. And so the work of God in us and the work of God through us, it's gonna look like Jesus. God takes pleasure when his people reflect the character of his son and the character of his son is a sacrificial nature that moves in the direction of other people. And the life of Christ is not a careless, passive life, but it is a life that initiated redemption. And so, yeah, I'm gonna step on your toes. Are you sharing Jesus with anybody? Are you moving in anyone's direction to serve them? If not, it's really inconsistent with who you are as a new creation in Christ. Because the life of Christ is intentional and it's in tune with the Father's voice and it is always trusting the supply of God to be adequate for the calling and the calling is to go lower for one another. I was talking with a guy who said the message last week convicted him and challenged him to ask the question, how can I go lower at work? How can I pick up a towel and serve my bosses? Not for a raise, not for applause, but just because that's what Jesus would do. It was really cool. What does it look like for Christ to live and express his life through you and through me? Next week, we're gonna look at 14 through the end of the chapter. 
We're going to see some other specific ways working out our salvation looks. We're going to see that we shine in the darkness and how we rejoice in, in the sacrifice and service of others and how we are to live the poured out life. But tonight we need to recognize that the call of God to work is tied to the supply of God at work in and through us. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We would love to see you on Tuesday night, 7 p.m. in the Student Center at First Baptist Orlando. You can check us out on Facebook. It is the easiest way to get in touch with us and find out what is going on in our ministry.